sometimes crafters. I mean, the words have changed, but uh, maker seems to be the current definition of what I what I do, and and it's an expanded definition, which is really great. It's really exciting to see uh, the the incorporation of the new tools and and the uh, uh, 3D printing and CNC cutting and all these things, these new ways of, of creating beautiful things. Uh, it's an exciting time that way, to, and the maker movement really embraces all that. You're listening to the Creative Habits Podcast, exploring the boundaries of creativity with artists from around the globe. And now your host, Wyatt Christman. All right, this is Wyatt with the Creative Habits Podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and we've got Gary Janetti on the line. And Gary, how are you doing today? Very good, very good, Wyatt. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. And uh, why don't you give us a brief introduction for those who don't know who you are? Okay, well, uh, I am a uh, career glass artist uh, starting in uh, 1976. After, Right after going to art school, I moved out east from Wisconsin and uh, ran into somebody that was just starting out themselves in the glass making, uh, hot glass work, glass blowing, and he needed help. And we, neither one of us were cut off for the construction work that we were doing. So uh, I started up with him, and we learned, uh, kind of bootstrapped our way up to uh, for a couple of years doing shows. And then he quit and left me with everything. So, <laughs> but I took off and never looked back. So uh, I've had the wonderful opportunity to have a career as an independent artist uh, selling my own work and sometimes through galleries uh, depending on the, t- the level of the work that uh, I was trying to sell and because uh, I do a whole range I started out as more or less a gift in the gift market and then eventually moved into the art world uh, due to some uh, a glimpse of fame where in the year 2000 I had a piece acquired by the uh, National Museum of American Art in Washington, D.C., and then uh, a year later was featured on the cover of Smithsonian Magazine. So that really, that recognition uh, really kind of propelled me more into the art side of things and away from the production. And I work in my, in Warwick, New York, kind of upstate in rural setting, and I've had my studio in the backyard and commuted down the driveway for all this time and it's been a real uh, I'm really grateful because it uh, doesn't get much better than that in my mind to do what you really love doing and and uh, be able to make a living at it a basic living and uh, not have to uh, uh, really travel too much although many people in my field travel quite a bit but uh, because I was able to sell through galleries I didn't have to travel all over the country, but that was really our social group. Our was the international level. You know, you had to be have a national recognition in order to make a real modest living. Uh, so we would get together at shows in various uh, cities, mostly on the East Coast, and uh, had a wonderful cultural aspect to it of a, being part of a movement. I would say the American craft movement was perhaps the um, dominant movement in the art world of the last part of the 20th century because it really uh, moved traditional craft media into the art world uh, and glass hot glass really led the way on that with some major figures uh, moving into the very uh, uh, international 
gallery world, and uh, still to this day, one of the exciting aspects of, of the art art uh, world is the uh, work with hot glass. I mean, there's some Dale Chihuly, um, uh, Lino Italia Petra, some of the best uh, European uh, artists came over here and taught a lot of us young people how to how to make things, and they still do. So it's been a very uh, wonderful career. I'm now. Uh, bridging over to uh, be more of a uh, teacher and I'd love to pass on what I've learned and not only just in technique but in survival skills for independent artists. Uh, I'm in the process of uh, building a community in my area here to uh, support a maker space which is uh, an opportunity that our local town was offered uh, an old prison by the new, by New York State. Uh, they closed the state closed it down and gave it to the town. And this these in many workshops and buildings. And I'm in the process. Uh, we just formed our nonprofit, and I'm starting to uh, uh, move move forward with inhabiting some of the and repurposing some of the old buildings there as a makerspace uh, and a material exchange, which is a program that takes in materials. And then sells them. So everything from construction materials to furniture to things that people uh, just want to donate, and then they're resold. And, and that's a, one of the revenue streams of the made um, for the makerspace to get it off the ground. Nice, nice. So the makerspace itself and that whole uh, movement. What? How would you describe that uh, as as morphing to? what it is today like what what are some of the major changes you've seen recently in in that kind of movement or space well the perhaps uh, the biggest change is, is there's this generational <laughs> shift from from uh calling ourselves craftsmen which is a was, our emphasis was taking traditional materials and kind of revving them up with uh on a on a garage level, I mean that's most of my colleagues, myself included, are work in a studio, a small garage type setting. So uh, it really didn't lend itself to high tech uh, approaches, um, but the makerspace certainly does. Uh, they're larger uh, and public access, meaning that multiple people, members can. Come together, whole community to come come together and share tools, uh, share access to spaces, um, which allows uh, a great deal more, uh, a broader spectrum of approaches and tools, and it's it's in way uh, more fun because instead of working by yourself or with one other person in the studio, which uh, some people really look at that as the dream, but you know I've done it for for almost forty years and. I'm ready to work with other people and and build a community around what I do and what other and have input from other people. I think that it makes it a lot of fun and to be able to inhabit larger spaces and really have really sort of revive this uh, what it used to be guild work and many craftspeople uh, as when they started looking at themselves as artists started working in more isolation and you know trying to specialize and uh, and many and that that's very good it can really be a way to advance your skill set and but with the new tools that are arriving on the scene 3d printing and the cnc machines that that are tabletop uh type 
approaches. Uh, that's been a real change uh, an approach for uh, the craftsmen and the artists to incorporate these new tools and new technologies that can really uh, take take material in places that it's never been before. And that's pretty pretty phenomenal. Pretty phenomenal. Yeah, so it seems like the Makerspace 2 would allow for a bit of cross-pollination between... Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, and so you get people with skills... You know, say I I just visited one upstate from here, and and they're they're working on uh, they got a million dollar Google grant to uh, develop. Uh, they they're they're connected with a uh, community for that services disabled adolescents, and uh, they are working on an attachment for a wheelchair that makes it adaptable to people with multiple uh, disabilities, different kinds of disabilities, so it individualizes uh, the adaptability of the wheelchair. And uh, he, the guy that's running it was, he's an occupational therapist. He's not even an industrial designer, but there, there he is designing something that used to have to be done with, in a factory somewhere and uh, multiple people. And, you know, so he's doing printing parts on the 3D printer to try them out. And, and uh, it's great to watch. It really opens up so many doors and allows people with a variety of skills to integrate uh, all the, the whole variety of skills and work together with other people in new ways. Right. Now, you are in that space then creating also uh, still uh, glass blowing, or are you there more as um, a facilitator of that space, or, or are you there uh, as, an, as an instructor or all three? Uh, a little bit of both. A little bit of both. What yeah. uh, what initiated my interest in the, in the makerspace uh, was a project that I started with my two teenage daughters in 2013, and they were doing. They were in high school at the time and doing a project on recycle, recycling, and uh, uh, and environmental sensitivity and. We went to our local auto junkyard and were browsing around through the through the piles there and old cars and noticed the all the broken car windows and I said, "Gee, look at that material! It's beautiful. It's like diamonds laying there in the dirt, you know." <laughs> and out of that, uh, we were we worked together uh, to uh, my whole family. My wife too got into it, uh, developing uh, prototypes to use. Broken temper glass, car windows, uh, commercial shelving, things that break into the, the little uh, cubes, you know, the little fractured things that are uh, what happens when you break temper glass uh, or safety glass, it's called also. And we eventually did a Kickstarter. So, and raised, uh, we did a successful Kickstarter campaign and raised $10,000 to develop products and. Uh, uh, that just gave me the idea. It's something that's very easily done, and I could train other people to do it. And I, what I, my hope for the project now is to keep it going and then use it as a revenue stream uh, for the makerspace. So uh, it's a matter of uh, training other people to do it, and uh, which doesn't take a whole lot. It's just a matter of a uh, little supervision and having the equipment available and uh, it, and I'm right now just featuring it on uh, Amazon.com. Uh, they reached out to me uh, with their new Amazon Launchpad program. They reached out to uh, a bunch of us that were had crowdfunded products, 
And so they have a little neighborhood on Amazon that's just for crowdfunded products called Amazon Launchpad. And they gave us a lot of room for free content, video, everything, things that other companies have to pay quite a bit of money for. Uh, just because they want to incorporate, they want to rule the world, honestly, Amazon. <laughs> they rule the retail world, and they saw this potential market in uh, new, innovated, innovative, and crowdfunded. So there was already a built-in audience for the products. Uh, so they decided to offer us this con- uh, opportunity to launch our product on Amazon. So. Right, uh, so junkyard glass we call it junkyard glass on Amazon.com. Look it up. It's a beautiful bowl that's on there featured. And actually, this week we're having a uh, a it's called uh, Startup Week. So all the uh, many of the products that were included in, included in the Launchpad program are offering special uh, holiday pre-holiday uh, incentives to uh, purchase the product. So. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. I saw the I saw the bowl and it's it's quite it's quite nice. And I saw the um, the videos too on on uh, Junker Glass. And so n- now you're producing those bowls, but you're also producing other pieces as well for that, right? Uh, yeah, there's gonna. I'm uh, in the process of developing. We have uh, clocks, mirrors, uh, soap dishes. We have a whole line of products in the work that in the works that will either feed into Amazon or, depending on how successful it is there, or you know, developing my own <coughs> website to market the products. And uh, it's just I'm in the process of developing developing more of a digital platform for marketing that that line of work. Now, uh, does all that uh, go towards the makerspace, or is that separate? And you're, um, you, you have that, and also you have the makerspace um, line. Well, what I've decided is that that the piece that's featured on Amazon is, I call it an open source piece. So that's something that I can teach others to make, and I actually have, I have uh, accumulated tons of the material <laughs> just within five miles of my of my house i've managed to locate source of, uh, over a ton of uh some of it brand new because the thing about tempered glass is that once it's made it can't be altered is if you try to alter it or cut it or anything it just breaks it shatters like that so uh people are kind of left sitting on it and it's very heavy material to have to landfill so basically the material is free so that that's another aspect of it that really says to me this could be a I could give this project eventually to the to the makerspace and even further than that I'd like to see it spread all over the world uh, which I'd love to to uh, support uh, because it it could be done anywhere in the world break practically where there is tempered glass and there's cars just about everywhere in the world these days so. Um, Right, so it'd be much like the recycled plastic and, and making, you know, um, Lego bricks of, of houses out of that is the same sort yeah. of concept of reusing what is the life cycle says, oh, this goes to, to the landfill, but it doesn't have to. Yeah, we call it upcycling. Right, Up, right upcycling. Upcycling, yeah. 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 <laughs> so makes it better than it was initially. <laughs> so that's a really cool project to, to have that hand, basically be training other people and, and getting that makerspace going. Did yep. you, and now the makerspace was, was separate, how, at the, and how did that come about? Like, did you have to ask for funding or, the, or the, the town had it and they came to you and you just 
ran with it or well there we're still in the process we're still in the process of forming it um we have the locations we're raising the money to do the basic renovations on the buildings because uh when the state owned the prison uh they were completely self-sufficient they created their own electricity they had their own heat plant uh uh, so a lot of the infrastructure is uh, just now coming online with uh, with the public, uh, you know, or the local uh, utility companies that had to do a lot of the, the work to run new lines. And so, but we're you know we have a whole committee of uh, people. We have our nonprofit status, and yes, the town came to to me particularly because I had mentioned it to our supervisor that I uh, had this product, this project, and I, my initial incentive was to try to work with veterans. And I still uh, am still hoping to do that. In fact, we have some very serious interests with the local uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars chapter here who seem to get the idea. They just like that idea of, of a shop, you know, having a shop that they can all work together. And then um, uh, and there, there's so many veterans these days are coming home with PTSD and everything and and um, they're reluctant to seek treatment but I, I see this as a real healing community project it's uh, everything is just non-judgmental you come in there you make things and to me that's uh, one of the best ways to intervene in somebody's uh, return to uh, you know make it a positive return to this culture rather than what happens so often these days, you know, it's like 22 veterans are killing themselves a day in this country, and it's tragic. It's just tragic. And talking with our local veterans here, they, they understand that, and they, they see the real hope in this project. So there's, it's really a matter of community building um, uh, from many different aspects. Uh, and then uh, raising the money, we hope to be self-sustaining is the aim of the nonprofit, so it doesn't we're uh, accumulating money from philanthropic interests so far and writing grants. And um, I, I'm personally convinced it will happen very soon because of all the support that we've, been, that we've gotten from the local community. And the town is giving us the buildings, basically rent-free, property tax-free. Wow. So all we're doing for, for in, in perpetuity, you know, right. 99 year lease, a dollar a year. That's so, amazing. That's yeah. there. Uh, can I, I, I don't know too many towns that we just, uh, <laughs> you can't over. beat it. Uh, well, no. not many towns have had this endowment of, uh, it's, it's actually, uh, it's 750 acres of land, 90 buildings, a 400-acre lake in the middle. Uh, it was. It's a park. Part a big part of it is a park, and the other part that was purchased is for a sport training facility because the prisoners had these indoor fields and um, uh, lots of equipment that the state left there. So this uh, local entrepreneur purchased that part of it and is making a, a sport training facility uh, out of it and. Uh, others, they're set, setting up other parts of it as a corporate technology for green businesses. Uh, you can purchase a, a pad site basically and start your little uh, 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 business there with uh, for uh, green uh, green businesses. Right. So it's a, the town has vision, and yeah. I, I, I'm uh, I think it's it's very interesting. Just a, a story. When I first moved here, this was like any town USA. We're we're 70 minutes from downtown Manhattan, you know, <laughs> Midtown, and uh, there were many people here that had never been to New York City and never planned to go to New York City. 
But now it's like uh, the world has expanded and the metropolitan area has expanded. And uh, it's really in the process we've been able to preserve the rural character uh, because we were a little off the highway. So uh, many of the farms have sold off their development rights and into a land trust so that that property will never be developed and will stay as farms. And in fact, behind my studio, there's 500 acres of of property that is just open fields, and and that's just uh, uh, one one farm out of I think there's almost 4,000 acres have been preserved in the last uh, 15 years. So wow, that's, uh, that's it. Just sets a tone for the culture here, and and, and many artists. Uh, uh, we had a visioning process, honestly, in the uh, late 90s. And uh, the whole town came together and decided what what do we want to be in in the next millennium? And as, at that time, the you know Y2K was coming up, and everybody was worried the world was going to come to an end practically, and all the computers were going to crash and everything else. But uh, so the, our community came together and said we really want to preserve our rural character and encourage artists and creatives to come out here and. Uh, uh, we we started our studio open studio circuit at the time and really developed a local interest in the arts and just so I've been instrumental in my career I've been instrumental in creating a local uh, arts uh, arts community and creative community um, and has that been successful then in changing you know from the um, usual perception of art is the first thing to go in schools I mean have you seen it kind of meld uh, over to school at all or, or, or get people more active within you know having uh, being an artist is is worthwhile again or well uh, let me put it this way uh, you're correct when fundings get tight art is one of the first things that goes in the in the school systems and at the same time that is why what we're doing with our Makerspace project is so uh, imperative to uh, and important, and even in the school system, they see how important it could be as a self-sustaining uh, community aspect input. So students that uh, are talented and see a direction for themselves in the arts have a uh, a space to go and and actual resources to put a portfolio together for their for college. Uh, uh, we're, we're planning audiovisual equipment, uh, uh, not only the two and three D arts, but uh, all kinds of different crafts, even tabletop crafts, sewing, and things that used to be in the schools. Uh, you know, even we're we're hoping to. Uh, we have a number of interested uh, chefs in the area that are interested in a uh, a uh, test kitchen. Uh, so that's what I really love about the concept. It offers college is is not what it used to be. And when I went to school, uh, you know, going to art school was just because that's where I landed. And uh, these days, the kids are under so much pressure. And even they, they've experienced all this pressure to get an education, higher education. And they come out and the, getting a job is questionable, questionable because things have changed so radically in the same time, the time they've been in school. And uh, the, the flexibility of a, uh, a community space that really can cater to current trends and and really embraces innovation instead of gets institutionalizing it which is so often happens when you're using taxpayer money they want people want to they want to uh, map it they want to measure it they want to do 
<laughs> to make sure the money is going in the right place and to have the flexibility to uh, really uh, support creativity is is much better done in a in the space that I dream of and and others here in the community do too than it is in the school system yeah and you, to keep that going to keep that funded you've bypassed um, the usual by through uh, grants through uh, crowdfunding mm-hmm. and how else have you you know made that well, possible well our, our recent uh, uh, approach and uh, the town is we're working together with the town to find the right people uh, because it's a park we, we are expecting to uh, have a contract with the town that we will have uh, control to develop and uh, manage all the concessions on the park site. So uh, that, that includes, because there's a lake, a lot of people like to kayak, so we'll do a kayak rental. Uh, we will uh, have summer camp activities. The people at the sports training facility would love to have food trucks and, you know, different kinds of concessions out there when they when they're, the, the teams are there to, to practice. So that's our approach. Our approach right now is to have, and this has been a proven thing over the years with different kinds of public venues, the concessions are really what drive it. If you look at some of the big stadiums and everything, that's where, other than ticket sales, it's really the concessions that uh, help support a lot of the uh, activity there. And, and it becomes a very, uh, it's a very important revenue stream. So I think with that broad enough uh, spectrum of approaches and uh, forming a marketplace, Along with, alongside it, we're actually planning our our first market event uh, is coming up Thanksgiving weekend, where we will uh, have uh, call it a meet your maker, meet your maker market <laughs> holiday marketplace. That's great. <laughs> so uh, we've really encouraged a lot of these young, a lot of the younger makers to come up out of their out of their garages and their basements and uh, you know show their stuff to the whole community and and demonstrate. So we'll have. Uh, blacksmithing demonstrations, uh, glass blowing on a on a flame working the tabletop torch work uh, is very popular with with young people right now, uh, and ceramic arts and uh, so we have all these resources right in town and just and have it all in one place for a fun weekend and and including a big barbecue homemade smoker you know to do a <laughs> do a turkey up or whatever good uh, yeah so you've so. gotten a pretty good response from the local uh makers from their garage uh, coming out to support all of that we have we have i mean it's something you have to drag them out but <laughs> so, right and but, why, uh, why do you because think it's the first time this is a first time event and a lot of a lot of young you know there's this thing that with and i i know i went through this to be kind of underground is a cool thing, and you're kind of especially with the um, with the pipe makers in, in, in glass making, which is they're making their living. And you know, it's not marijuana is not legal in New York yet, but it will be soon. And and it's many parts of the country it's very legal, and and it's a very large market, a growing market. So instead of doing what I did, which was making small, you know, bowls and perfume bottles and things like that to to learn to hone my skills. Uh, many of the young glass artists are making pipes, and uh, that they they say, "Well, I don't want you know, what am I? It's not really illegal. It's not illegal, but it's not uh, you know, you don't want to be sort of stigmatized by what you do and you know, la- you know, labeled." But 
it's it's in my mind it's it's a big world and uh that kind of uh you need discretion you know when you're marketing anything these days and to pull people up from and you have to make all kinds you don't want to be limited to one product to begin with you really want to have an avenue to express yourself in so many different ways and you make jewelry or small objects and uh in addition to expand what you do and that's that's so important for young young people to see that there's there is a creative career in what in doing something it can seem repetitive but there's really room to grow and and express yourself in an artistic way also even if you have a catchy novelty at first uh, uh it's very important not to limit yourself to that i think yeah, definitely. Well, there's a there's a guy on Amazon who actually does uh, combines it to uh, the the pipe into a mug, so it's a it's a mm-hmm. pipe uh, mug. Uh, <laughs> you, you drink your coffee and smoke pipe at the same time. <laughs> and he does he does quite well. He's in the handmade section of, of Amazon, but it it, it just goes sure. I mean, yeah, it brings up other avenues, but sure, there's some people who don't really want to uh, actively get themselves out there, unless you know, unless they. Uh, but 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 you you need to have a public face. You need something to to, to have those sales. Uh, uh, and I'm always wondering how to bridge the gap between uh, the the maker who stays in the garage and really you know produces wonderful things, but could do uh, even better if they you know had a website and if they yeah. involved themselves with technology and got out a bit more. How yeah. do you think uh, that bridge could be you know? Um, uh, made because I, I I think from what you're doing you are uh, you are one of those bridges by what you're doing uh, creating the makerspace, um, but in other places may not have that uh, ability because the town might not have that that uh, land and, and, right. and facility to give them. What what ways do you think uh, uh, that bridge can be made? Well, there the maker movement is already uh, providing showcases through the, what they call maker fairs, which is a uh, happening all over the country and mostly urban areas so it really is the big difference that what i'm doing is that it's in a rural area where uh almost everybody everything else i've ever seen has been in a more urban area where you have a larger population base and very often they'll host uh, uh maker fairs over the years and over in different you know over the year in different times and that's certainly what how the american craft movement started was through uh, these shows you know pop-up shows uh, and it's to me, it's so important. I mean, everybody uh, these days, we didn't have the internet back then. We didn't have Etsy. We didn't have, you know, even Amazon. We didn't have a way to market our work. We had to go out and meet face to face, and and show uh, and talk to people, <laughs> really talk to people. And more and more, I'm finding that's what's. I mean, even doing a podcast like this, people want to hear a story behind what they what they're buying and. Uh, you can you can do that to a certain extent on on the on the computer, but it's to me I I learned so much about myself, and it was so motivating and into my creativity to have exchanges face to face with people and to really feel their appreciation for what I did. Uh, you know, I sell through Amazon, but I never I don't even know who's buying it. I mean, <laughs> so it's I tell my story, and I hope that I hope somebody buys something, but. Uh, that's it. And my other work, I certainly, I still do uh, museum-sponsored shows where I meet people. And uh, my larger artwork is is very expensive, and uh, it kind of requires a real personal touch in order to market it. But I think starting out, be willing to travel a little bit, 
and even flea markets. Uh, some of the some of the young people that we have now, they they make you know, a lot of uh, effort through f- the flea market circuit, which is certainly uh, you know it's it can be a mix of kinds of things, but uh, if you have something that's really visually striking and uh, uh, people will appreciate it. And it's really just a matter of getting yourself out into the world. And the, the online platforms have become so large and so popular that Etsy is, and Etsy went international uh, not too long ago. And so you really have to, even if you have an Etsy site, go out and shake some hands and, and have people look at your work and then give them a card for your Etsy shop, you know. And if they don't want to buy it right then, they certainly, it's a, that personal contact is going to be so important to developing a loyal audience for your work as you move along that will follow you as you move along in your career. Yeah, the, the following and also did you find when you were, well, when you engage face-to-face with people, do you find that sprouts ideas so that you find yourself going in creative bents that you might not otherwise? Absolutely, absolutely. I I don't, I didn't enter, I mean, I went to art school, but I felt like I was kind of a mediocre artist and I I don't know. I just I, I kind of just landed there. Happenstance. I didn't know. I didn't know where else to go. So I ended up in the art department. But uh, I I truly believe that uh, it's it's you learn how to open yourself up to ideas and and yes, you take uh, some risks and op- and just putting your things out there uh, and having to uh, sort of show yourself, reveal yourself to other people and what you think is nice and. But it's it's been integral to my development as an artist is the exchange that I have uh, have had with other others, yeah. and you'll run into people that uh, uh, don't even know the first thing about what you're doing. And, you know, they'll walk in. Is this glass? You know, and here, I mean, <laughs> or and then you'll go and you'll meet museum curators. I mean, uh, the people are uh, always looking for something fresh. And no matter where it is, and this is the kind of my my theme with the junkyard glass, it could be in the junkyard, but if you have a fresh perspective, and I saw it through my daughter's eyes, you'll something new will come out of it. I mean, it's really to stay open, and uh, sometimes it takes other people to keep you from from your i mean I know we're talking about creative habits in some way on the show here, but <laughs> you don't want to be too habitual in your approach to art, for sure. Definitely. There's a danger in that. The, the habits yeah. can help give you a structure, but you need ways to bust out so that you don't get stale. Do you think that technology has a place then that in some ways can, you, you know, because let's say you you don't do the face-to-face or it, you're not able to for where you live or what have you, uh, whatever sort of situation, do you think there's a technology that technology can take the place of that face-to-face in some respects, not fully, but in some respects? Well, yes. I would just say what we're doing right now, you and I, right. just having a conversation in depth, that wouldn't happen. Uh, the kind of depth of you know the length and somebody else you could open to somebody else to listen to it. When it's face-to-face, you're limited, and usually the people are uh, distracted right. by so many other things. And to... The one thing about the computer, it really takes your attention and it funnels it. 
in, into whatever it is you're it can be distracting if you let it go but at the same time it can be very uh magnetic in its attraction and allows for a certain uh depth of conversation that you might not have in other other circumstances so yes i think the technology really has and we we need to take responsibility for it all of us to and not let the machine take control, you know, and really use it in a responsible way to develop uh, our humanity and the depth of our abilities to communicate. Uh, it's interesting because I, I'm, I'm dying to ask you about, uh, it keeps coming back to, in, the, in the back of my mind, but uh, you keep coming up with interesting things. But back when you, uh, we started the podcast, and you, you talked about um, the transition you kind of made um, from you know, production work uh, to being uh, something um, more artistic. I don't want to say more artistic, but, you know, the transition from sure. full production yeah. to being able to express a little more. Can you talk about that a bit? Because I I suspect uh, being um, early in my uh, artistic career, I, I suspect that there is a way to um, jumpstart that or, or allow it to happen um, so that you're not just stuck in production, because in production right. mode you, you you have to have some of that because you you have to make sales. But on the other hand, there's that aspect you want to have the freedom. You'll get stale if you if you stay in that production mode. So I wondered if you could speak to that part of your artistic growth. Well, uh, I I basically I just wanted to keep growing. I was I. When, when I, I loved glass blowing. I love glass blowing. I love to do it. I love the process. It's a beautiful process, inspiring process. Uh, but it's it's a challenging on the level, uh, studio level. It's a very challenging material to work with. So uh, it takes a great deal of dexterity and timing. And um, I don't know if you've ever seen it done, but certainly if you have an opportunity, and there's plenty on YouTube or even on the television uh, documentaries that that uh, show people blowing glass and uh, it, it just I wanted to keep growing improving my skills and to keep growing as an artist and production for me I never looked at it as anything I had fun doing it to, but I never looked at it as more than a stepping stone to uh, improving and increasing my scale increasing the depth of what I was doing I really felt motivated to uh, keep going in that direction and there were many roadblocks along the way uh, and many times that I felt like I just I just want to uh, contract this out to somebody <laughs> they want to, I don't want to do production anymore I just want I want to experiment I want the time and the freedom to do that but I kept going with it and then very very fortunate for me I was on the cover of Smithsonian Magazine and that kind of recognition just propelled me into the art world more and more uh, and I gave everything the work motivation to increase my scale the scale of my work and uh, spend more time on it it take, it took me years and years to justify spending a lot of time and justify failure uh, that's probably the hardest issue that an artist has to overcome is is the embracing of failure as one step in the process. And with production work, you get it down, you're just doing it. And failure is a small fraction of 
of the process. But in the creative world, in the creative process, you have to really uh, learn to embrace failure as as a necessary ingredient because it really makes you strive harder and push further into into the uh, kind of the unknown that is the source of creativity. Yes, definitely. And there's a lot more popularity around the idea that failure is part of the process, which is nice because it eases up on the cultural pressure that you might get uh, otherwise. Right. I wonder, though, that when you were in that production mode, you said, and I wanted to source it out, how did you keep going going uh, when you wanted to source it out? Uh, you know, just, I guess, just sort of happenstance. Every time I would start in that direction, for one, I couldn't find, I thought what I was doing was so easily done by somebody else. <laughs> right. <laughs> only to find out that I was never never really able to find somebody else that could do it like I did it. You know? <laughs> but I said, this okay. is so systematic. Why can't I find somebody to do this? I mean, you know, right. I'll, I'll train you. I'll do everything. And, and I, I, was, I was, I don't know how many young people I went through at the time thinking, okay, here's one that I can take on as an apprentice and I will really train them to do that. But the, the tone of, you know, I, I, I certainly can't argue with it because it was my tone also no i want to do my own thing right i don't want to i don't want to take over somebody else's thing you know i want to do my own thing well that's okay but in in some ways it's it can be a real leg up to take over somebody's product so you can learn as you go along i mean with glass blowing you you can go to college you can get a degree an art degree in glass but you won't know half of what you need to know these days to to really have a career it's so technical it's so technical so dex- there's so much dexterity so much uh investment in practice that has to go into it and it's a very expensive uh, craft to do on your own you have a furnace that runs 24 7 at 2000 degrees Jeez. and you're running propane or natural gas to fire it you know so you can run into monthly expenses that are in the thousands of dollars yeah real fast <laughs> real fast so real you fast. need to you need to have, uh, in fact, that's the one of the biggest incentives these days, the growing end of glasses, these open access studios, is so an artist can rent time instead of having the, to cover the overhead themselves right? Uh, and work collaboratively. It's traditionally done as a team activity, two or three people working together or more. Uh, and that really lends itself great, nicely. It fits in very nicely to an open access uh, model that... Uh, Allows you to you know get together with other artists. They can you can trade off in your parts so that you can be the the artist and you can be the helper and then you can be the helper and you then you can be the artist, you know so you can really trade off your roles and and all of it is a good learning uh, good learning process to develop your skills. So definitely. Yeah. So if someone wanted to like let's say start something similar in their own area, would you have any recommendations for them to making their own makers studios, so to speak, or to try to get that started where they live? Well, uh, there are certainly uh, many models that are actually documenting their process. There's one in Baltimore now called Open Works, and they are. Uh, most of the makerspaces that have developed uh, successfully are, uh, are tend to be larger and kind of technologically based. So they're used for prototyping uh, the objects that are eventually manufactured. 
but it still has a real creative aspect to it. And uh, the maker movement is really uh, taking that idea of open sourcing what they do seriously, and they're they're walking the uh, walking the talk and documenting how they started, uh, what it took for them to get up and running, uh, the expenses. There's a Artisans Asylum up in uh, I think they're they're in Massachusetts Amherst I think, uh, but Artisans Asylum is all these are all uh, websites that that go through and, and blog about. Uh, what they're doing, what works, what doesn't work. Um, nice. Uh, and there's even people just up north of here that start out in the garage, you know, or, or have a little uh, barn in the backyard, and they start their own little makerspace and take in neighborhood kids. And you know, if they have uh, some tools to share, and you train them, and it can be a real positive thing. And and I'll tell you, it just uh, gives kids that may not. Uh, uh, be academically inclined, uh, it, it, may, it gives them a real positive outlet for uh, uh, understanding, the, understanding themselves and feeling the, the uh, part of something that is so important for young people uh, to feel like they're a part of something, even if it's an under, underground thing. You want to feel a part of something. and um, So it has a lot of different ways in, more ways in than any other... Uh, artistic uh, movement than I can I can picture in history there's more ways into the maker movement which is it's 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 diversity is its real strength yeah it sounds like it's healing it's uh, also uh, you spoke of that with um, you know be, being able to t- take someone who has BST and 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 change right. them and there's an aspect to art itself that's healing from a psychological mm-hmm. standpoint and mm-hmm. uh, that's uh, interesting. I wonder if art will save, uh, in some ways, heal our uh, culture. You know, our um, capitalistic culture, our move towards <laughs> efficiency. If somehow, you know, the maker movement and the Ubuntu kind of uh, f- free movement come together to kind of offset the the capitalistic uh, gains that have made their roots into our society. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I guess that gets kind of lofty. But, well, uh, it's 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 really that's what makes it so exciting is that it's it's such a positive and diverse and positive movement, and it offers so much hope for not only uh, the creative uh, fields but the production fields. You know, it offers uh, uh, economic incentive, uh, jobs even for for young people. Uh, that because the tools have scaled to the tabletop, it's things that were in factories, and you had to train and be an apprentice and go through a whole union thing and all that. All of that's going by the wayside. This is this is really the future of work, uh, and creativity is is being integrated in, into our uh, into the workplace. And it takes various forms. People say, "Well, it's disruptive or it's hacking," and well, gee, that's that's where things are going. <laughs> Yeah. And that's where the creativity is happening and and the productivity. So it's really an exciting time. Yeah, it is. Gary, it's been great to have you on the show. I really, there's so many other questions and everything. <laughs> I, you know, you've got a wealth of knowledge. And, uh, well, you can have me on again someday, you know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, I, I want to, uh, j- just to, to end with um, a, a, any uh, last suggestions for our artists out there uh, trying to make it and also uh, just where people can uh, find you if they want to know more? 
Well, uh, I do have a website, Genetti Glass, G-E-N-E-T-T-I Glass.com. And that shows uh, the broad range of what I do, everything from large blown vessels to my new uh, kiln form work to the junkyard glass. Everything is, is featured on my website. And uh, I don't know, I just, this little parting words, I, I've been thinking a lot about how, uh, what an opportunity, how grateful I am to have had the opportunity to do what I uh, do. What I do. And, but basically it's about growing up and growing up in a, with uh, positivity and creativity integrated in your life is even more and more a necessity for us, for all of us. And to be able to, to really be the grown-up in the room, to learn how to be the grown-up in the room, especially given the kind of culture we're, we're being exposed to these days where childish behavior is everywhere, and even in our leaders <laughs> and potential leaders. Uh, it's just, uh, I think, I can only encourage uh, young people uh, and all of us, actually, to really keep growing and um, finding themselves in a positive light yeah definitely that's a that's a good that's a good way to to end uh, the show with and uh, i think if oh what's his name you know trump becomes president i guess more people will have to grow up to offset his childish <laughs> behavior but yeah <laughs> yep all right well thanks a lot gary thanks for being on the show thank it's you Wyatt. thanks it was great great to get to know you and uh, great talking with you and uh, enjoy your tea thank you yeah all right, thanks a lot for listening to the show. Big thank you to Matthew, who provided the music that you hear in the beginning. And uh, get all the show notes for this show at creativehabitspodcast.com slash Gary hyphen Janetti. Uh, there are other shows, of course, on the podcast itself, uh, Creative Habits. and uh, Check those out. Uh, sign up for the newsletter and don't miss another episode. Thanks a lot for listening.